Welcome to Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm Jeff, and thanks for listening. This is episode three. Wow, I am learning a lot. I can't tell you how much I'm learning. A lot about microphones, about editing audio files, about writing script. I can go on and on and on. I don't feel smarter. I feel a whole lot dumber, as a matter of fact. I'm trying to improve a little bit with each podcast, so if I'm not, please let me know. You can reach me at rackhouserambling at gmail.com. That's rackhouserambling at gmail.com. If you know my number, you can text me, give me a ring or what have you, but um, I've been getting a lot of good feedback. Uh, I'm going to be working on also, somebody gave me feedback of uh, putting up a couple of pictures, so I'm going to work on that. I've got a website. If you go to Podbean, you'll see my website that I'm working on there. Slowly but surely, I'm getting it, but you'll start seeing more pictures of uh, what's going on, pictures of the studio and things like that. So for episode three, I have another new segment introduced. It's called Cool Book to Read. If you uh, ever visited my home, you'll see Ann and I have a small bedroom. We converted to a library, and I've got a pretty good collection of books. A lot of, uh, I didn't realize uh, until I started looking at them again, I've got some real uh, interesting things, probably uh, books you haven't read before. So I'm going to pull out a couple of my favorites uh, here and there, and I'll uh, put it in the segment. I'm going to call it Cool Book to Read. Also in this episode, I'm going to revisit the uh, Old Forester Bourbon. After listening to the last podcast, I don't think I did a good job spotlighting their distillery, so I'm going to take a mulligan, just like in golf, and I'm going to redo it, probably go into a little bit more detail. I think, I don't know if I was tired or fighting a cold or whatever, but we're going to redo that one. Plus, I'm going to have a new bourbon spotlight this week. Uh, it's Angel's Envy. I'm going to give it a taste, give it a review, and tell you about their distillery. That's one of my favorites. And then uh, the other segment is back. I've gotten a lot of good uh, feedback on this one. It's called, Is It Real or Is It Made Up? So I'll give you three more 911 emergencies to throw at. And you decide, is it real? Is it made up? Also in this week's travel segment, I've got some exciting news and an update about an upcoming trip. And last but not least will be another guest interview. This is uh, my guest for episode three here is Eric Kostoff. He's a longtime friend. He's really funny. I think you guys will like him. He's a great storyteller. And he's probably going to tell a story or two about me that you've not heard before. So stay tuned. Uh, This is Rackhouse Rambling episode three. I'll be right back. Okay, we're going to start this new segment. It's called Cool Book to Read. I think you guys are going to like it. I pulled a cool book to read out of my library, and it's called In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, things like that. It's not a new book by any means, but uh, I've had it for a little while. I think you'll like it. This book is about the USS Indianapolis. And if you remember, the USS Indianapolis is the Navy ship assigned the secret mission of delivering uh, the nuclear bombs that were used to end uh, World War II over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Those bombs, they were delivered across the ocean on board uh, the USS Indianapolis. So the the whole premise of the book, and this is a true story, the, na- the ship delivered the warheads, then left port, was on its way back, and uh, was sunk by a Japanese submarine. Uh, The Indy was on a top-secret mission, so no one knew about the bomb delivery, and no one knew about them leaving port to come back. Nobody. So after being hit by uh, two torpedoes, the ship went down really quick. A bunch of sailors jumped overboard. A bunch of them died. And because it was a top-secret status, there was never a search party that looked for them till weeks and weeks later. Um, Meanwhile, they're out drifting in the ocean for weeks and weeks, uh, being attacked by sharks, being attacked by each other. Uh, You know, after you drink so much salt water, you get delirious. And uh, there's a whole uh, section in the book where the sailors are killing each other. So... Um, and if you've heard of some of the story before, you can probably thank the, that blockbuster movie called Jaws. So in the movie Jaws, there's the shark hunter, and his name is Captain Quint. Um, he recounts his story of surviving as he was on Indy when it sank, and he gives all these colorful shark-eating uh, things about his shipmates getting eaten by sharks one by one. And to me, it's like one of the most memorable parts of the movie. So in the book, the author talks about the sailors and their lives, you know, years after the war and they've gotten back to normal life and whatever. But one of them, the guy's name is Bob Gauss, and he lived uh, his later years in Florida as a commercial fisherman and a shark hunter. So it's believed that the character Captain Quint was based off this Bob Gauss guy that was a a shark hunter in Florida. So uh, if you like listening to the rant of him, 
you know, from the Captain Quentin Jaws, definitely read this book. It's called In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton. So it's also full of real life stories from the survivors. And, you know, back in my first podcast, I told you I like things that are genuine, things are real. And that's one of the things I like about this book. Um, It's full of these like personal accounts and backgrounds of the sailors and things. So another interesting side note of this story is the captain of the Indy, he survived. It was all said and done. They court-martialed him. Um, and he was upset by this. So they court-martialed, if I remember right, had to do with the protocol when you were crossing the Pacific is you're not allowed to go straight. They want you to zigzag left and right. And there was something to do. I don't remember exactly. I read this book a couple years ago, but he didn't zigzag or didn't do this or didn't do whatever. So they held him accountable and court-martialed him. And for years and years afterwards, he had mental health problems and eventually he committed suicide, took his own life. But uh, in the year 2000, he was exonerated and they took back everything they said and all that sort of thing. So um, while doing a little bit of research on this too, I went on the internet and found a really good website. It's called eyewitnesstohistory.com. And there's a whole page dedicated to the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. And the two couple of big characters in this are uh, Dr. Lewis Haynes. And he is the one, uh, he is a survivor. And his accounts are the most popular out there. He gave, uh, for years and years afterwards, his story. So you're going to sign. So if you Google Dr. Lewis Haynes, Indianapolis, you'll see a bunch of stuff out there. And then the, another, uh, big section out there on the internet is Captain Charles McVeigh. And he's the one that, uh, was a captain of the Indianapolis and that was court-martialed and all that. His story went on and on and on. So there was a big debate whether he should have been court-martialed or not. So if you Google Captain Charles B. McVeigh, Indianapolis, you will see a ton of stuff out there. And, you know, back to that Dr. Haynes, he was a ship doctor and, um, he was famous years later for, uh, being able to recount the story and tell people things they learned about, uh, drinking salt water and salinity and things like that. And, uh, he was probably the most popular out of anyone out there. So what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm going to be working on my website this week and I will put a picture of that book uh, on the webpage so you can check it out. It's called in harm's way by Doug Stanton. And like my new segment says, it's a cool book to read. Good deal. We'll talk to you in just a minute. We'll be right back. I'd like to introduce a new sponsor to Rackhouse Ramblings Podcast. It's DNP Painting. For your interior and exterior painting needs, call DNP Painting at 586-383-3578. These are quality guys. They do quality work and they use nothing but Sherwin-Williams paint. I know them personally. I trust them as fellow first responders. You can trust them too. Call DNP Painting at 586-383-3578. Call them now to reserve your spot. Their spring and summer schedule is filling fast. That's DNP Painting, 586-383-3578. Okay, we're back. Rackhouse Ramblings, Episode 3. And this is uh, turned out to be a really popular segment. It's called, Is It Real or Is It Made Up? So you guys asked for more. I'm going to give you more. Here's three more for you. Now, remember, there's a disclaimer. Could this be real or made up? You decide. And, you know, because of privacy laws and things like that, HIPAA, I'm not going to mention any names, not going to mention any addresses, things like that. So it's up for you to decide. Uh, number one on my top three for this week. This 911 call is 911 call is from a nursing home. And they state there's an emergency. An 80-year-old female is smearing feces on her face. She's fighting with the staff and refuses to go back in her room. Is this real or is this made up? Number two, this 911 caller states a male put a nail through his hand with a hammer. He passed out. Is it true or is it made up? And I have to pause on this one. So uh, being a carpenter, I know that to put in a nail, you have to hold the nail with one hand and then your other hand has the hammer. So how he was able to put a nail through his hand with a hammer, or maybe somebody else was holding the nail in place. I don't know, but that, is it real or is it made up? You tell me that was number two. Number three, this 911 call is for a 74 year old man with dementia. He thinks there is a can stuffed up to his rectum and he's on the toilet trying to get it out. His wife says there is nothing in his butt. (laughs) Is it true or is it made up? 
this is the ugly side of dementia, the side that people don't talk about. <laughs> so there you go. There's our top three for this week. I uh, leave it up to you to decide. And one thing to consider, these are your neighbors. These are the people you pass in the grocery store, and they're probably the people sitting across from you in the restaurant while you're dining out. So when you see them, just smile and nod. <laughs> Rackhouse Ramblings. We'll be right back. House Ramblings has a new advertiser at Seaver Tree Service, 586-904-1367. For professional tree trimming, they're licensed and insured. Call Hans Sievert for an estimate. Sievert Tree Service, for all your trimming and pruning needs to complete tree removal and stump grinding, 586-904-1367, or check them out on Facebook at Sievert Tree Service. That's C-Vert, V-E-R-T, Tree Service. Welcome back to Rackhouse Rambling. This is episode three, and this is the Bourbon Spotlight segment. You know, I probably haven't mentioned it before, but uh, I really like to uh, practice uh, responsible drinking, don't drink and drive, things like that. So uh, please utilize Uber, Lyft, a cab, what have you. Don't drink and drive and be responsible. So uh, Angel's Envy is in our spotlight this week. I happen to have a bottle on my shelf right here. We're going to try a sample of it while we're uh, giving the review. This is one of my favorites. So if you've ever come to my bourbon room, you'll know that when I say a taste or a sample, that's probably like a thimble, maybe a teaspoon if that, maybe, you know, the tablespoon, teaspoon, whichever one's a little bit bigger, but that's really all it is. That's all the taste is. Uh, that's what I'm looking for here. So Angel's Envy Bourbon. It's one of my favorites. I like this so much. It is my go-to bourbon for gifting. I consider this a top shelf bourbon. That means it's above average in price, but it's way above average in taste. This is, I, I go to this one constantly, as a matter of fact. Um, at almost $60, it's a little bit pricey without a doubt. And for most of you, you wouldn't give this a consideration. It's probably more than you'll want to spend. But it's one of those, uh, for me, it's a self-indulgence that I really think you should partake in. I have to admit, I'm a little prejudiced to Angel's Embly. I'd like it a lot. Uh, I, even, <laughs> I even like the bottles. I don't have the heart to throw them away. So if you see any pictures of my little bourbon room studio, you'll probably see, I think I have three bottles on my shelf right now. Um, one of them is my little display where I put the dried corn and the rye and the barley and, uh, it's kind of layered, looks kind of cool. Another one is empty. I leave the empty one there so you can see the wings. On the back of each bottle, you'll see these etched in uh, angel wings. So when uh, you fill it up with corn, you don't see them. Then, of course, my third bottle has some uh, bourbon in it. So uh, let's see here. I did. I went to their websites, angelsenvy.com. It's another one that's really informative. I like it. And I'm going to read probably pretty much verbatim for about, uh, quite a few little sections here. It says, Angel's Envy is a handcrafted small batch whiskey produced by Louisville distilling company a subsidiary of Bacardi Unlimited now if you didn't know a lot of these distilleries are owned by bigger companies so Bacardi Seagram things like that they will own uh, bourbon distilleries so the the Angel's Envy story is really cool I like it um, it was an idea between a father and a son the father's name was Lincoln Henderson and his son is Wes Henderson most people don't know this but um, Lincoln was in the spirits industry for a long time almost 40 years he's kind of a big deal if, if you're in that circle in that industry because while working for a company called Brown Foreman he created Woodford Reserve ever heard of it yes you have and then he's also responsible for creating Jack Daniels single barrel so before him you'd buy Jack Daniels but you he created the whole idea behind the single barrel and I have uh, some of that on my shelf as well so you can just say he is a big deal um Unfortunately, he pa I say was because unfortunately he passed away in 2013. So his son has taken over uh, the business here. So um, he had an idea to make good bourbon, age it in a charred oak barrel, then take the bourbon out of the barrel and put it into a port barrel. Port's like a, a red wine. So the idea being that the port barrel uh, was infused with this rich red wine and that it will then uh, infuse with the bourbon and mix together. And believe me, it uh, it tastes really good. It's, it's really unique. I like it. It's smooth. Uh, so angelsenvy.com, 
lots of stuff to look at there. So they kind of explain the ins and outs in detail. Um, and on their webpage, they start with the label. And this is kind of interesting. If you've never actually read it, the, the label says a lot about it. So on the front, I'll say Kentucky straight bourbon finished in port barrels. So let's, uh, to a straight bourbon, there's kind of rules here about bourbon, but straight bourbon must be aged for at least two years and must have an age statement on the label. If it's late aged less than four years. Angel's Envy Whiskey is typically aged between four to six years, and then it's uh, aged in a charred 53-gallon American white oak barrel. Next, they blend the barrels together to meet a flavor profile. So they go on to say Angel's Envy uses, they call it double maturation, and that's a fancy way to say it's aged twice, once in the bourbon barrel, once in the port barrel. And uh, by the way, the port barrel is a little bit different. It's uh, a 60-gallon compared to a 53 gallon barrel and those port barrels come from portugal that's kind of interesting i never knew that so the bourbon is aged in that port barrel for up to an additional six months to pick up that port flavoring then they batch it in uh eight to 12 barrel batches. So you could almost consider it a small batch at eight to 12 when they blend it together. And when it's finished, put on the shelves, the final proof is 86.6. And if you're interested, the mash bill is 72% corn, 18% rye, and 10% malted barley. Let's see what else we have here. If you go to Louisville, oh, you know what? I was at this distillery. If you go to Louisville, you should check this out. It's right across from the ballpark there. They have a minor league team. And I was lucky enough to go there. It's really cool. And it's built inside an old hardware factory. So it's all brick and mortar building and everything. It's really clean and they're really nice people. And um, even though Lincoln Henderson has been in the spirits business for a long time, Angel's Envy distillery was only recently built and opened in 2013 so uh, when you visit they show you how the barrels are emptied how they're report into port barrels and you can see uh, they even have the warehouse there where you can uh, see them all stacked up it's pretty cool so check it out angelsenvy.com let me give a little taste here and i'll give you my review very smooth uh very easy finish of course like most of my bourbons, there's no burn. Um, I do taste almost a little vanilla, a little butterscotch, something like that, and maybe just a hint of red wine. So there you have it, Rackhouse Rambling. Uh, that was my bourbon spotlight for episode three with Angel's Envy. Check it out, get you some. Okay, we're back, and this is another bourbon spotlight segment, and I'm going to call it the mulligan, because last episode, uh, I reviewed Old Forester, and after listening to it, you know what, it was fine, I put it out there, but I wasn't uh, completely happy with it, so I'm going to, I call it a mulligan, I'm going to do it over, so bear with me, there's probably going to be some repetitive stuff in here, but I don't think I did it justice uh, on the last one, so here we go. Um Old Forster Bourbon, uh, and uh, let me preface this, I was on their webpage called oldforester.com, and I'm going to read a lot of this verbatim, and I didn't emphasize enough, I, I don't think, like how interesting this was and how unique the story was, so I think it's worth retelling and telling it in a little bit more detail. So Old First Forester Bourbon was founded in 1870 by a guy named George Garvin Brown. So my research, like I said, is done on oldforester.com. I like the website. It's easy to use. It was helpful. And as soon as you bring it up, one of the important things to note, this is their 150th anniversary, and it's like on every page you go to on their uh, website. So in 1863, Mr. Brown moved to Louisville to attend high school and eventually became a pharmaceutical sales rep. Now this pharmaceutical part, that will play in later, so pay attention here. And according to the website, it's that line of work that led him to create the first bottled bourbon, Old Forester, in 1870. So to guarantee consistency, the bourbon was batched from three local distilleries. He sealed it exclusively in a glass bottle and goes on to sign like each bottle with his personal guarantee of quality. So we take quality and, and consistency for granted today. But imagine 150 years ago um, to say that each bottle is going to be consistent, consistently good and consistently taste good. That was kind of a novel idea, even to sign your name to it. Uh, you know, and 150 years ago, not everything was in a glass bottle. It could have been in a clay jar or things like that. So uh, then in 1897, uh, something is called the U.S. Bottled in Bond Act of 1897. So that required that bourbon come from one distillery 
and come in one distilling season. So by 1901, George Brown, he purchased one of the distilleries he was buying from. It's called Mattingly Distillery, and that helped him comply with the Bottled and Bond Act. So imagine that you're buying from three, mixing them together, but and now he's going to buy his own distillery. So that happened from 1870, it was his first bottle, to 1901. So that's 31 years later. So for 31 years, you're not even distilling it. You're buying it and you're bottling it. So that's kind of a big jump there. Then in 1910, Old Forester introduces the double-barreled bourbon. This is kind of funny. So uh, a fire breaks out on the bottling line and all the bourbon had been dumped out of the bottles or dumped out of the barrels and it's ready for bottling. And the bottling line catches on fire. So what do you do with all this bourbon? Well, you have to put it back in barrels, store it until you can rebottle it. And now you got to come up with a way <laughs> to pay for all the expense and you kind of brand it as a, a double barreled bourbon. So I get that helped them separate it from self from the competition, I'd imagine, you know, putting that on your label. Then in 1920, Prohibition began and this shut down all but a handful of distilleries. Uh, Old Forester was given a permit to sell and manufacture whiskey during Prohibition, and their website says they're the only one that used the same name before, during, and after Prohibition. So as a side note, during Prohibition, you could only get alcohol or whiskey if you had a prescription from your doctor. No shit. It makes sense. So he was a pharmaceutical guy. He had a pharmaceutical background, and now I guess you'd be selling it as a pharmaceutical product. So I don't know if you remember, when I was growing up, you would see all the pharmacies, there would be a sign out front that advertised packaged liquor. Now you know where that came from because you could only get your liquor with a prescription from a pharmacist. Imagine that. <laughs> so let's keep right on going. In 1941, Old Forester becomes the first to switch over to producing industrial alcohol to help the troops during World War II. Remember that. So they would use industrial alcohol for uh, thinners and cleaners and things like that in all the factories. So they switched from making bourbon to making industrial alcohol. Same process, I imagine, distilling. And they go on 1951. They're the first ones to have a holiday gift decanter bottle. So it'd be like a decorative bottle. And uh, Wild Turkey went later on to become famous for all of their uh, decorative bottles. If you go into the old dive bars up north or in the little podunk towns, you'll see all those decanter bottles laying around on the shelves. In 1959, they come out with the 86 proof, and that was for mixing drinks because uh, prior to that, a lot of alcohols would be 100 proof. They'd be pretty strong. You would drink them straight. So now 86 proof, you'd make things like Manhattans and Old Fashions and things like that. Uh, their website goes on to say 1962, they're the first to offer a single barrel program. Now, this is a little bit different because to do their single barrel, you had to purchase the whole barrel to get a single barrel. So that's kind of, uh, I don't want to say misleading, but uh, not everyone would be able to buy a whole barrel. And then in, 19, in 2014, they introduced the Whiskey Row Series. These are four expressions, each representing a moment in the 150-year history of Old Forester. So there's four of them, and they kind of represent the history. Number one says 1870 original batch whiskey. The second in the series was 1897 bottled and bond series. And then uh, the number three was a 1910 old fine whiskey. And then the number four was a 1920 style prohibition whiskey. So I'll have to try some of those. I know I have uh, the original batch uh, and I have the old fine. So I'll have to try the other two. And then in 2018, they uh, returned to Whiskey Row in Louisville. So Old Forester Distillery is in downtown Louisville. And uh, it's the only uh, downtown distillery that houses an active cooperage, charring barrels in the same facility where the spirits are being aged. So uh, cooperage is the barrel maker, and they char the barrels right there in their distillery. So I don't know if you remember or if you know that uh, oak barrels like that for bourbon are charred on the inside. And as another side note, you order your barrels there's four specifications uh, level one level two level three and level four depending on how the master distiller wants his barrels charred you can order number one which is a light all the way up to number four which is a heavy char and uh, let's see what else was on their website 1940 oh they require acquired old Kentucky distillery and so when you buy the distillery you usually will buy the brand that goes with it and in this case they acquired Normandy rye whiskey brand and so they've taken their rye uh, recipe put it under the old Forester label and as a matter of fact I have a bottle of this this is really really good stuff and that was uh, that was common for one distillery to buy another distillery not just to buy the building but to buy their brand name and even some of their recipes 
So there you go. How's that for history? Like I said, I have three bottles in my collection. I like it. And I hope uh, I did uh, Old Forster Bourbon justice here with my mulligan. And now I feel better about that one. I hope you liked it. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with another segment. Welcome back. This is the travel segment of Rackhouse Ramblings. And I've got exciting news. Um, over last weekend, I visited the uh, MUCC's Outdoor Rama. My buddy Gary and I went there and we were on a mission. We met an elk outfitter from Colorado. And guess what? There's an elk hunt in our future. So I met a guy. His name is Jim Flynn. And he owns a uh, company called Local Mountain Outfitters. And, you know, I've been wanting to go on an elk hunt for a long time. And, you know, you may think, oh, we'll just call somebody and say, well, it's not quite that easy. You kind of have to uh, find the right outfitter. You have to find the right person to go with, like a good hunting buddy. And, and Gary Pollins, he's uh, one of my favorite guys to hang around with. So he's going to go with me. So the two of us, we met this guy, Jim Flynn, and it was pretty much like an interview. We had specific requirements. Being bow hunters, we want a bow hunt. Um, we want like the whole Western hunt experience, the mountains, the canvas tent, the whole nine yards. And he was checking our boxes as we, you know, we uh, interviewed him. And these are our requirements. And we want the canvas tent. We want archery. We want one-on-one guiding. We want uh, the Western experience. And he is going to give us all those sorts of things. But the only downside is the license process in Colorado. So to hunt in Colorado, you being a, a non-resident, uh, it's tough in certain areas. There's areas where you can buy. It's called over-the-counter, but... We're going to hunt in a different area, and uh, to hunt in this area, uh, we have to buy what's called preference points. So you're kind of buying a partial license, and it's pretty much giving them money for the most part for two seasons. Then on your third season, you're guaranteed a hunt. So the bottom line is we won't be going on this hunt until 2022. You know, it's like a couple of years from now. So um, I guess it, it, it's bittersweet. Number one, we're going. Number two, it's not for a couple couple of years. And I guess another good thing is that gives you money to pay for it because these hunts are, are not cheap by any means, but uh, you really get what you pay for. So I'll keep you guys posted on that. 2022 Elk Hunt, Colorado. If you go to Google uh, Maps or Google Earth, go put in Canyon City, Colorado, and that's kind of the area we're going to be hunting in. Uh, Local Mountain Outfitters has, uh, they had over... 4,000 acres of hunting land access, which is huge. So uh, that's kind of exciting. I hope you guys are excited for me as well, but stay tuned. There will be more to come, and that's our travel segment for this week. Okay, up next is uh, my interview with Eric, a longtime friend, and uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, we will see you next week. There we go. So I'm going to let it roll. Da, 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 da. Da, da. Where's your... Um... My guitar's right there. Yeah, I thought you had an intro with guitar. I put those in later. Oh, okay. Eric, Eric Kostoff, interview, thought... take one. Check, baby, check, baby. So I guess how do how should I intro this? I should say we just did. this is my guest Eric and he's here for an interview. He's here from Nova from Scotia. Long way away from Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia. Yeah, like they Oak just Island. Came from, yeah, Oak Island. But that I guess so. Like if somebody else was, I've known you forever, but somebody yeah. else was listening, tell me like a couple of sentences about yourself for them, for other people, for other people. Yeah. So it's a, um, this is Eric Costa. I wear a size 12 shoe. Okay. Keep uh, going. Double, wide, double E wide. 12 um, double E. I run the 40 in about 10 seconds. Right. And um, I'm educated and grew up in Plymouth, Michigan. But people would say like, oh, you're Jeff's friend. Da, da, da. Oh. Um, like how about, well, how is it, how did we meet? Do you remember that story? Well. Tell it, we probably told right. it a few times. But yeah, this we, is we, like we, the good recording. We actually, I think we actually talked talk about it a lot too just between the two of us <laughs> so long and short story is that i was working in a car wash and um it was scott our, our mutual friend scott rest yeah. his soul yep and uh scott one day came over and said hey i know you're going into construction or architecture or something i've got a buddy that is looking for we needed a draftsman yeah a draftsman 
And I'm like, people don't, do you know what? Explain what a draftsman is because yeah. a lot of people don't know what that is. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> draftsman, well, back in the day was before CAD, and you'd sit at a board with a parallel slide and so you would do drawings you know, like engineer drawings right yeah right on right on paper with onion skin and with the real pencil oh yeah the pencil <laughs> you sharpen often <laughs> until your fingers cramped do you remember those we'd load the lead into those things oh yeah that was a pretty big deal it was remember all the stuff you used to get like hey remember that little bendable bar where you can like you, you had know? to do arcs and radiuses and you had to have a special lead you remember it was 2H or 2B oh yeah or, you didn't want it too hard but you didn't want it too soft right because you had uh, I think 4H was too hard a thin line and a thick line and yeah yeah That's, <laughs> I, mean, I haven't thought about that in a while yeah I know it so, so we had so I was at the shop and this is a shop out in West Bloomfield and we made cabinets and did some home remodeling but everything we did had to be drawn on paper yeah and so not only was it drawn for the homeowner the, or the end user but it was also drawings for the shop on how to make things so we were doing at the time you and me were doing the drawings for the customers for presentation yeah, and, and was just becoming more and more popular right. It was right. still an expensive program. Because col- in college, you did some CAD, right? I did CAD. Um, no. AutoCAD? No, you guys never touched that. it? No. No. So I did no. some. I did a bunch of that at school craft and things. So we ran, We were having trouble finding a draftsperson. Scott said, hey, Eric, talk to my buddy Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Funny thing was, I didn't... You guys were doing all those three-point or two-point, three-point perspectives? Yeah. I didn't know how to do any of that, but yeah. it took me about, I don't know. Five minutes? Well, we showed you in like a day, didn't we? It was about a day. It was like really, a three-dimensional it's like, picture. It's like learning yoga. It just right. takes a little while. Once, you, once somebody you, shows once you. Once it clicks, you're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> so and yeah. this wasn't like a big company. A lot of people no. don't think, oh, you work for some big company. No, there's probably no. like 15 people, 12 people. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day, though, it was, it was pretty big. I mean, it was... It was for a small a, business, there's probably twenty some people there, right? Yeah, and for our age, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, kind of a shirt and tie kind. Of, well, it was jeans and a, sh- it was a nice place to work. Right. It, was, it wasn't. It a, was a step up from the car wash. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. I was excited. Yeah. Like, Man, I'm going corporate. We're going now. to office. You're working at a desk. You're not schlepping around a parking lot. So <laughs> Scott goes here. Call this guy and blah 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 and see what it's all about. So. Mm-hmm. I think I called, I don't know if I called you or Mike or Janice or whatever, and set up uh, an interview and yep. came down and saw I think I you were the only one we talked to at the time. Really? Yeah, if I remember right, yeah. I remember it was... Because it sucked hiring people. It was such a yeah. hassle. I remember. <laughs> you know what's funny? I don't know if you remember this. So when you guys hired me, my first day, um, you guys didn't have anything for me to do, really. You guys were still finishing out the... Oh, the showroom. There. Yeah, you yeah. guys were kind of just getting the walls up so you can start yep. working on the cabinets and yep. get the cabinets put in. And uh, you guys, um, I think... Did we really, even have a desk for you? No, but right. I, I had a hammer. You guys gave me a hammer <laughs> and, and said, put, start knocking all the there. nails out of the boards. <laughs> I'm like, I'm supposed to be drafted. Yeah, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Because <laughs> they'd given... We were across the street and then moved to this place, literally right across the parking lot. Yeah. And if I remember right, they just studied in the walls and dry out. We didn't even have a desk. and Yeah. Yeah, we were just starting out. I think you and Mike had your, like, your own little office. Yeah, that like horseshoe shape, but we didn't have like another spot for you. Yeah, and then it was Janice. She was burning up the... <laughs> burning, I can't remember what she smoked, but... Was it Virginia Slims or was it uh, Salem? Moore's, Newport's? Salem, Newport. I don't know what it was. Yeah, she Smoked was, like a chimney in that oh, office. Man, there was no windows. You would think she'd put an exhaust fan in. You would think. Back for then you could, you could smoke making, in the but, office, but... I know. So... so that's how we met. That's how we became friends. And yeah, that was my first day at work. I think first couple of days at work was banging out nails on uh, the rest out of two by fours. So you guys could use them. And, you were um, still in college, right? You still had like a year to go or something like. You were towards the end, right? Uh, or maybe you in know the middle what? or something I think like that. I was. I can't remember. So I graduated at the end of '95, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I was only three years at Eastern, but I was four and a half years at. Designs Unlimited, I think. Wow. I think so. Four and a half so, years. Four, four and a half years. Wow. Yeah. But towards the end there, you did everything, right? You were the guy to go to the get her kids. Yeah. Get oh, yeah. You're, I was moving, you were moving doing a lot everything. Of, in and out of the whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was You like, did yeah, everything. I did. Eric, she wanted me to stay and Eric, work with Jim Phipps. Run to the store. Eric, I know. <laughs> go get my oil changed. Go do this. Go get... I can remember we would have to take this... Uh, 
Range Rover, Land Rover to the, the dealer. Yeah, it, it was drive. a Nissan Pathfinder. No, before the Pathfinder, it was like she a tin actually can had like a, she had an actual Range Rover, and that thing was in the shop so freaking much. Yeah. I knew the service guy by first name, man. <laughs> Swear to God, I'd have to take it over there and just. Every time, what's That's going on funny. today? Well, it's doing this. <coughs> well, it's doing that. We'd have to run everywhere. I can remember one time she was, she handed me a beeper and she was, Jeff, take this beeper. And what am I going to do with it? She goes, I need you to run down to the place and uh, get me a new one. I dropped it in the toilet. I'm holding it in my hand. I said, oh, that's nice. Thank you. Did she really do that? <laughs> yeah. I dropped it in the toilet. Here, she told me after she handed it right. to me. Oh my god! Like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> you know, she she uh, was a, a lot of business, but she was a good person to work yeah. for. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's probably one of the best bosses I ever had. Yeah. yeah. There's something about it the way she. <clears throat> I don't know. She just you just knew how she. Well, it was like a mutual yeah. respect thing too. Exactly. She, there's not a lot of people like that. Right. Right. It's funny. Like when we kind of go back back in time, when you kind of drift back and you talk about all them stories and things we did, but uh, it reminds me of like a movie, and you know how we relate things yeah. to movies. Yeah. So if we had uh, the Eric Kostoff movie, what would be like some of the soundtrack? Well, Tell me know, some of the songs in like, that soundtrack. It got to the point. I was just thinking about this before. You have to ask me that again, but I remember like the way she was. Is, I remember somebody conned her into or gave her the idea of getting a um, espresso machine. Okay. I don't know if that was you or Mike. Or that was after like, me. Was it after you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd hear like, Eric, make me an espresso. <laughs> Run down there. You know, you remember where the bathroom was yeah. in the corner? Oh, yeah. She had That's it over where the there. blueprint machine yeah, was. Like, <laughs> like frothing it up and all that. <laughs> That when I was there, the big thing was oh. ordering Kona coffee. My mom would send me Kona coffee, and I'd bring it into work. And then uh, Josephine read the thing, and she oh, was yeah. ordering it for Janice. Josephine, that was related to, I don't know. Yeah, she was related to um, blonde haired uh, one of the one of the models, blonde haired models. You don't remember that? No. Uh, I'll think a second. No. But um, so I remember Kona coffee, but not espresso. So you were like a barista before they were baristas. Yeah, well, I was hanging out at um, at the coffee bean in Plymouth. Okay. So we were my buddy and I, Carmelo, would go over there and work for the owner, and she goes, "All the coffee you guys can drink, and I'll pay you ten bucks an hour okay. to paint." So she'd be like, "Okay, paint this room like some kind of like." Antiquey blue and rag roll it. Okay. Figure out how to rag roll it to make it look nice. Okay. <laughs> so and we would just go over there and you know we drink coffee and paint. Yeah, we'd have like seventeen cups of coffee. And then and, you go back to Designs Unlimited. Hey, I know how to make espresso now. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. Because we sit there and watch them make it all the time. But <laughs> they say there's an art to it. But it's all the, the machines the machine, they have right? the, the machines they have at the coffee houses are probably. Two, three, four grand, I think, maybe more. That that's the coffee what? place that was right there next to the post office yeah. before it changed to Westmore. Yeah. Wow. And I think Janet's espresso machine was probably hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. Yeah. I think it <laughs> compared to like a really out. fancy one. Yeah. <laughs> but um no, but I miss those days. I do. Those were good days. They were. You know? so back back to my quiet mic to my other yeah, thing. No, okay. So the soundtrack, if you, there was an Eric Kostaf soundtrack. Oh God. Go back to those days. What would have been the song playing while you're over there? Would Jeez. it be like Depeche Mode or uh, the Church? Oh, soundtrack. Or, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking, soundtrack. I'm thinking, I'm thinking movies. Soundtrack. This oh. is your soundtrack for your movie. Well, you know, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I think you were trying to get under Mike's skin. Yeah, what was I playing? We're, I came in the office one day, and he was putting on Rush Limbaugh. Okay. And you were kind of teasing Mike a little bit, and you're like, wait, Eric, do you have any CDs in your car? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah I probably was. <laughs> yeah. I was and he goes, hey, what do you got? And I'm like, I got the Pixies, and I've got... And he goes, hey, well, go get it. <laughs> So I went and... Yeah, he was, was pretty pissed. Yeah. So Mike, if you didn't know Mike, Mike kind of ruled. We were in what, a 12 by 12 office? Yeah. There was three, we spent a lot of time Three together. different personalities The one day I was there. ready to throw that radio out because he wouldn't... Say, I could listen to Rush Limbaugh. It's all right. Yeah. But every day, every... It was driving me up a wall, man. Yeah. So you, <laughs> said, we got to change yeah, it up. You told me to put on... Said the I'm Pixies. gonna destroy this fucking radio right now if you don't. <laughs> he thought I was kidding. I it was a boombox that we'd gotten from Big George's and yeah. it was ready to just crush I it. I remember that. <laughs> and I remember, and then God, I, this was after you left, but Tom Scalise got hired in. It okay, was yep. me, Tom, Mike, Mike, and I can't 
can't remember the other girl's name. Candy. I oh, Candy. Was. Yeah, Candy. No, it wasn't Candy. The one before Candy. She came from, uh, what's that? Commercial brand that's really popular. Oh, commercial Steel cabinet. Case or yeah. Something. Steel Case. She came from Steel Case. Okay. I can't remember her name, but. Um, there was four of us in there, and wow. I think me and Tom almost went a couple times. Yeah, I just it was too small of a spot. It's like for tight quarters, man. Too many personalities. Yeah. yeah. So what was your soundtrack? <clears throat> what would you play? Oh, so what I was getting at my soundtrack, I think it would have been either Surferosa or Bossa Nova from the Pixies. And it okay. Can, and it had on there the song. Or one of the lyrics to one of the songs is. Um, I forgot exactly how it goes, but it's one F Jeff. He sings. <laughs> That's where that Stuck came from. <laughs> now, now let's fast, fast forward from there. If you go forward from there, and uh, you went left Designs Unlimited, and we helped you get the resume. You oh, went to yeah. Dame Maria. You want me to tell that story too? Sure. Leave that, leave that for later. Uh, well, we let's let's keep going with the song thing. All right. So this is your soundtrack, Eric Kostoff biography movie, and we go now. You're at Dame Maria Construction. What is it? Yeah, what would be the song for there? Oh, jeez, Di Maria. You got to fight for the right to part. No. Yeah, no, I, I had we. I mean, that was corporate world. I had to cool it off. Uh, <laughs> I was doing a lot of, um, you know, it was kind of like, God, I don't know. That's a tough one. That was. What were you uh, rocking big, to? So big, if, if I went in your car, transition. Yeah, what was you know, playing was probably, in your car then? I probably it probably would have been Crystal Method. Who's that? Yeah, what you don't know that? Crystal Method? In no. fact, because that's when I got my Volkswagen. Right, right. right. Around the yeah, night. the Jetta, right? I had a Jetta, black Jetta. And mm-hmm. It was a five-speed. You were, you were pimping. Oh, it was. People were like, that's a nice car, dude. The thing <laughs> broke down all the time. No, it never broke down, but but no, we had Jettas. But they were right. kind of cool looking. Right. But, um, when I got my Jetta, I was just getting into electronic music. And there was uh, if one of the best, I think, electronic albums is... Crystal Method Vegas. Okay. It's one of the best. And I used to play that in my Jetta all the time. Nice. Get out of work. <laughs> time to go home. I'm jamming. Yeah. Then, yeah. So we fast forward there. It's from Dame Maria. Where'd you go to? Barton Mallow? Yeah. Well, Rudolph Libby, Barton Mallow. What would be a song for them? I don't know. This Starting uh, Rudolph Libby. <laughs> you know, Rudolph Libby, I still had... Still listen to some electronic music. Yeah. And then... Um, Gosh, it's a little bit tough. Um, then you moved out of state for a while, right? Yeah, I moved out to, to Maryland. And that was kind of, I think when you look out, when I got in later life, it's just kind of reminiscent about all the old stuff you used to listen to. So you went back to your old back stuff? Back to the 80s and all that. Because there wasn't, for a while, there wasn't that kind of music coming out. You know? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's disco in the 70s, and then it was alternative in the 80s, and then there was... The '90s was like the Nirvana and all mm-hmm. that, and like grunge, and but after that, it kind of went. Music kind of yeah. was trying to recreate itself, like image. Well, what'd you switch to then? I don't know. After Barton Mallet? I think I just kind of hung on to the old stuff, because like I said, there hasn't. Like there was like Alice in Chains and all that came out, and none of them really. Pearl came Jam, out. you didn't go on Pearl Jam, Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters were that's when yeah. It's still like. But I didn't listen to Foo years. Fighters when they first started. They've been around for no. 20 years. And I didn't listen to them that much. I mean, you'd hear their songs. Right, but, right. And I love David Grohl. I love his whole story. But um, And the people that inspired him are some of my favorite uh, musicians like Bob Mould and all that from Who's Do and all those guys. But um, I didn't really start getting into them until the last like five years. You know, I mean, listen to them on a regular basis, right, you know. right. Well, even like today, you listen to all kind of different stuff right now. Yeah, yeah. But is any of it new, or is it just throwback no, a lot stuff? Of it's, a lot of it's like Queens of Stone Age. Well, you are, <coughs> you know, you are like fifty now. I know. Yeah, I know. And I, um, I volunteer over at uh, the Hamtramck Music Festival every year, and we just had that last week. And uh, if anybody's looking into seeing good local Detroit music and upcoming bands. Um, put it on your calendar for next year. It always falls around the first weekend of March. And I didn't hear much about it this year. 120 some bands and over 20. Could I qualify as a band? Would they let me on stage if I could do like a 10 minute set? Yeah, you, well, yeah, you'd have to submit your, well, your demo tape. Yeah, they might. There's <laughs> probably a good chance. But um, it's uh, it's cool because there's 20 some bars and 100 and some bands and. So it's about four bands a bar. It goes for a few days, huh. and uh, everybody should go to it. It's good. I should. All the it's nonprofit. All the money goes to uh, 
it's fifteen dollars for for the Saturday and Sunday, or I'm sorry, for Friday and Saturday, and then whatever is left goes to the Hamtramck. So public mark schools. your calendar for next year. Yeah, I got. I've cost. got another question on my right. list for you. All what right. was your first job? Officially, yeah. Officially, like it was where Primo's, you got a paycheck and everything, not Primo's paper pizza. routes, nothing like that. Primo's pizza. Primo's pizza. So when you're yeah. at Primo's, what was your job? You well, make, did you make they started me on the phones. Yeah, they started me on the phones. So I have to hurry up and learn the menu. You know, that's Primo's kind of, Pizza. Please hold. Yeah, Primo's Pizza. Please hold. It. Primo's Pizza. Oh, yeah. What, what can get, I get you? You get good. And, How many lines but, did they have coming in? I think we only had three. Yeah. But it would it would ring uh, it would start ringing like that and the, all they'd be all filled up and you're just. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. But that was my first job and it was um, I think I started at the place opened at four. And I think I'd go in around 5, 5.30 after school. Stayed and then while. I would stay sometimes, like on the weekends. Uh-huh. I used to ride my bike up there. So you'd stay at my bike in the morning the or something? Yeah, making dough. Because we make dough fresh oh, every day. For the next day. day, yeah. Yeah, and I'd have to make sure the pepperoni's cut. So you know, have the big pepperoni cutting machines. Like, dum, 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 uh-huh. And you sit there for two hours cutting pepperonis. No kidding. Yeah, and then when the owner, um, what's his face, whatever, um, would make all the dough and he'd, then you gotta, he'd cut it and then you gotta, you know, knead it and Right, psh, and then you put it on yeah. a tray and A couple hours of work before you go home, yeah. Man, oh man. That was only occasionally and that was only on Fridays or Saturdays. So you started on the phones and then yeah. you got promoted oh, up to fryers. making pizza? Yeah, no, fryers. Oh, fryers? Oh yeah, making subs, making ribs, making yeah. frog legs, fish, all that stuff, yeah. But you, you just, like you do, like fish were really popular for like, you know, Lent and stuff. Yeah. Um, subs were easy. Anybody can make a sub, right? Um, but you know, when things got cooking, you got yeah, buddy. Had a, did you have an apron and everything? Oh yeah, you had a hat, apron, everything. Yeah, nice. right. It was just me. And I remember in the summertime, you can probably relate to this. We all had kind of crappy jobs, but they didn't have air conditioning. They just oh, had a couple fans. It would get yeah, hot. Like I can imagine. Degrees. Yeah, you know, you're getting down to a t-shirt and shorts, just baking back there. You know, what was your first car? Um, officially? Yeah. Because I kind of had a hand-me-down for a little while, so well, it blew up. Well, that would count. But I didn't pay any money for it. You want a hand-me-down or the one I paid for? Well, you had the hand-me-down first, right? That yeah, I didn't really car. last that long. Like a so week or a I, day I, or what? Yeah, I had a, a 1973 Chevy Love Mikado. Chevy Love? Is that a truck? Yeah, it's a small little Mitsubishi yep, with the I know two round headlights. Yep. I think they topped out at about 50 miles yep. an hour, like literally. Yep. And I used to drive that back and forth to uh The to end work. of the block? <laughs> yeah, <pretty laughs> the of, I used to drive I, at I 10 houses. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the bridge that goes over uh, 275? <laughs> <laughs> Your dad said, hey, this will keep him out of trouble. Yeah, and I had to put a, a I had to get a sign legally, a uh, street sign, and put it in my floorboard. Because it was all rusted yeah. Stop sign, you're standing So bed. I blew that truck up doing too many hole shots, and then uh, my cousin took it, and uh, I ended up getting like a 79 Firebird, which... Yeah, yeah. So How'd really you talk your mom and dad into that? Um, it was only a six-cylinder. Did they have to spy you some money? No, like 50, it was all, no, it was it was all like your money. Nine hundred bucks. Oh no, kid! It was seventy nine, and this was nine hundred. Was a lot of money, though. Uh, That'd probably take you a month or two to save. Yes, yeah, right? so this was a seventy nine Firebird Formula, and nice. it was um, I was it was a Firebird sixteen, so it'd be eighty six. Wow! So it was only seven years old. I got it for like nine hundred bucks. Wow! But it was black on black, and um, I actually took it up to Traverse City and back. And I blew the oil, and the oil pump went on the way back, and <laughs> throwing gas and oil over. So we learned how to I, fix cars. Yeah, I just barely made it home, thank God. Yeah. I think we've talked about it before. Remember, like, your stereo was in there? So did it have a stock stereo, or did you take that one out? No, I definitely took that one out. Yeah, yeah, we, we were just do you remember what you put in? What was yeah, it? Yeah, it was a Sony. Sony? It was, I don't remember, like, the And you had the amp and or, the booster and the 6 by 9 yeah. speakers. And, I had the Pioneers, and yep. the, I had the ones in the door. The tweeters. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was cassette, right? Yeah, was cassette it a, only. Auto reverse, auto reverse yeah, cassette? Oh yeah, if you had auto reverse, that was the best. Hey, check it out. I'll flip yeah, it over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did did you ever have the one that would find the next song? You just hit fast forward. I don't know if I ever had that one, but I, I had a buddy that, that had one. Yeah, that was the cool thing. That was that was. The, I don't um, like the song. We fast forward. You yeah, just it press stop. it, and it, it will stop, stop at right the next. There. 
But yeah, I got fouled home from cruising Main Street in Plymouth, and they stole my stereo. They stole it because you were playing it too loud. What would you be jamming to if you were cruising around? You know, I don't know, Journey maybe. No, it was still like some kind of punk stuff. Yeah, it was was some kind of punk stuff, like something like you know, it would have been like alternative, like Depeche Mode or Pixies or. People drive by and like... What the hell is he like, listening to? Did it have T-tops or a sunroof? No, sunroof was aftermarket. Okay. Probably yeah. leaked. Didn't leak, every... though. Didn't no. leak, no. <laughs> no, the quarters were shot, though. They're all rot- rusted out. In the really? Yeah. <laughs> That's why it was 900 I'd light bucks. them up. Like, I worked over at 5 in Newburgh. I'd go back behind the shop and light yeah. them up, and all the smoke would, would go come into inside. the trunk and then through the speakers. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to open the You're doors. Eric, pull forward. Let's get out yeah. of here. <laughs> oh, God. I tortured my car. It'll all, be, it'll all be stinky in your car. Nice. Hey, tell I'm gonna. We're getting close to wrap up here. For anyone that's interested, tell them about your YouTube uh, So uh, a buddy, my uh, buddy uh, Bill and myself are putting together um, a YouTube-type podcast. We're going to be getting into more of the podcast channels, but it's all about Detroit local music. And um, we're on there to support local bands and things like the. And Detroit. if you're a local band, you want to be on their show. Yeah, right? we'd be happy to come out and interview you cool. and uh, give you uh, some some props. And uh, what's the name of your channel? Unguarded moments. Unguarded moments. Yeah, there's a. We got it from. I'll tell you a quick story. Is that Bill and I? I bought tickets to go to see the Church, which is an old '80s band that I love. They had um, what they had one hit. <clears throat> one big hit album and literally almost every song in there was a hit and they were coming back um, and touring just to play that album um, it was the 30th anniversary I think or 25th mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> so Bill and I went and long story short we're in the back closest to the bar and closest to the bathroom uh-huh. and um, I asked Bill like, oh, what do you think everybody's thinking right now and he kind of picked up when I was on what I was thinking and it's like you kind of reminisce about when you hear songs from 30 years ago. Right. Like, it what takes was you I doing? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was the whole inspiration behind setting up the podcast. Like, nice. You know, what do you, when you listen to music. So check it out. You, How many do you guys have now posted? Three? No, there's Two like 12, 10, 12 maybe. Wow. Eight? 12? Is there, know, if, out of all of them, is there one, like if someone wanted to listen to you guys and listen to your no, best No, they're lousy. One? We're just, yeah. Okay. Not so as, start at number one? Yeah, not as polished as... Uh, Rackhouse yeah. Ramblings. Well, I got my motivation from you once there. you and I sat down and started messing with it. So. Yeah. No, it's uh, we're, we're going to get there. We just got to tighten up our uh, good our uh, technology. Well, thanks for doing this, Eric. Yeah. No, thanks for I having me. I hit the stop button while it's, we're already at 24 minutes. So. Yeah, it's been a long drive. and That's a long drive. Yeah. Cool. That's so. a wrap.